Bandwidth for changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode cloud servers. Head to Linode.com slash changelog. This episode is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the simplest cloud platform for developers and teams with products like Droplets, Spaces, Kubernetes, Load Balancers, Block Storage, and pre-built one-click apps. You can deploy, manage, and scale cloud applications faster and more efficiently on DigitalOcean. Whether you're running one virtual machine or 10,000, DigitalOcean makes managing your infrastructure way too easy. Get started for free with a $100 credit. Head to do.co slash changelog. Again, do.co slash changelog. From Changelog Media, this is Founders Talk, one-on-one conversations with founders, CEOs, and makers about their journey, lessons learned, and the struggles they go through to build and run their business. I'm Adam Stagoviak, host of this show and editor-in-chief of Changelog.com. JavaScript is in every corner of software development. So that means NPM is in every corner of software development. After reading the recent announcement to hire a CEO, I knew it was time to talk one-on-one with Isaac Sluter, co-founder and former CEO, now chief product officer of NPM, about his choice and journey of hiring a successor. But first, we have to get some perspective on where things began. So that's where we started. Let's go back to as far back as we need to around NPM and when you thought it should be a business. Like, we understand mostly the story of npm registry uh, the cli things like that but like when did this thing become a possible business for you uh that's an interesting question actually it 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 really was a, a process of elimination um given the uh uh the mission that i had and and the goal that i had of keeping the registry up the entire npm experience the npm community like it really depends on this this registry uh, service being there to to provide uh, all the packages, right? And all the metadata and everything that people are uh, publishing and installing. And we got to a point near the end of 2013 where the way that that was running was really not, was clearly not scaling to the the size of the community. It started out as uh, just a CouchDB instance on my own personal VPS. And then uh, this company offered to uh, provide sort of donated infrastructure for it to work. And then that grew into the point where they could no longer support it. And it was starting to fall over. Um, We had some pretty massive periods of downtime near the end of 2013. And um, my thought process there was, okay, well, what are, you know, what are the options? What do people do to fund things? I could fund it myself. That was the, that was one possibility, but I'm not unfortunately independently wealthy. Bummer. And (laughs) couldn't afford to keep paying server bills. We could, I could run it as a project inside of a, a bigger company. Um, there was uh, some talk of doing that inside of Joint, um, the company I was working for at the time running the Node project. But I could have also gone somewhere else. You know, I probably could have talked uh, Microsoft or Google into hiring me and making NPM a Microsoft or a Google thing. There are some pretty serious downsides to that option. Um, you, you really, it's a very precarious position to be in if you are not the the sort of the the moneymaker within a big company, right? You're always kind of in, in danger of being decommissioned squashed, yeah. or deprioritized, squashed. Yeah, you know, you have to fight for resources there. Another option was starting a foundation. That was something I looked at very carefully and I and and really looked at very closely. Uh, the downside of that, foundations are 
are well suited to a certain shape of problem. You know, they work very, very well for things like the Linux kernel, the node project, where you have essentially no like infrastructural overhead. Uh, there is some, I don't want to say no, but um, not very much infrastructural overhead, right? They don't have a ton of servers. The node, the Linux kernel isn't going to stop working if they don't have servers to service all of the Linux kernels out there in the world, right? That's just not the shape of the of that piece of technology. Right. What they do need is they need people contributing to it. And foundations are a great way to kind of marshal the, the human resource of 30 different companies all have a vested interest in this project succeeding. They all want to put engineers on it and they need a way to work together. So the foundation is really structured to enable that kind of that kind of solution. The finances of how a, a foundation work are you go out to each of these big companies and you say to them, you know, pony up a quarter million dollars this year and you get to be a platinum member, which means you get a, a voice on the on the governing board. You get your your logo in very large size on the website and um, you know, you get to nominate two people onto whatever, you know, there's different ways of structuring it. Um, and then every year you go back to them and say, you know, pay us again, right? You've, you made this investment, you got this return. Uh, let's, let's do it again. Let's renew. And if they keep being happy and they keep being involved with the project or, you know, in, invested in the project success, they'll keep ponying up. The problem with NPM is that we really didn't need that many developer resources. What we needed was we needed to pay the server bills. And the community was growing at an exponential rate. I mean, if you look at the if you look at the graph of downloads and the graph of like the number of users, the number of packages, it follows an exponential curve so well, you might think that we are like faking it. Right. And the problem with an exponential curve is it gets bigger and bigger. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the only thing about the trend is going curve. up. Right. And the bigger it gets, the faster it gets bigger. Yeah. So um compounded interest kind of thing. Exactly. Exactly. Because the more people that are using NPM, the more value there is in NPM, the more people will decide to use to start using NPM. And it would be a really tough sell to go to a company and say, we need a quarter million dollars for all of our platinum members. And then the next year say, uh, good news. Now we need a million dollars. And the next year after that, now we need five. Like it just does not scale. There was, however, this fourth option, which was um, to start a company. And a, a company and a you know, venture-backed company is actually uniquely suited to handle things that have exponential growth curves, right? That's, that's exactly the kind of thing that, that venture capitalists get very excited about because what that means is you have something that's providing value based on how big it is, and the bigger it gets, the faster it gets bigger. You know, they're kind of like always sniffing out for things that have a, an organic exponential growth curve of anything. Even though in this case, when we're talking about the growth of our downloads, I'm literally showing them a growth. It's like, hey, our costs are spiraling out of control. They're like, oh, good news, <laughs> right? Because what it is, is it's an, it's an indicator of interest and value. So uh, we raised money in, uh, I talked to a bunch of VCs in uh, December of 2013, um, started the company formally at the very beginning of 2014, and we were, we were off to the races with uh, uh, True Ventures putting in the first seed money. That doesn't mean that, you know, the problem was solved. Obviously, now the the trick was to the other thing you need to have if you kind of go down the venture route is a, a, a reasonable way to assume that you can, you know, a reasonable assumption that you can turn that exponential growth curve of cost into some kind of revenue generating engine. And I didn't at the time know exactly what that would look like. But what I did know was there's a lot of big companies that are using NPM. They have different needs than what the open source community has. And so there's a good chance that we can, you know, 
do a thing that will give help them have their needs met and they'll pay for that. Uh, and as the as the growth of users and packages and, and just the relevance of NPM continues, then, you know, that can be a way that we can sort of tie revenue to that growth curve and uh, fund NPM sustainably long term. Had you done anything like this before yourself? Like some founders come in green, they, they've never founded anything before. Obviously, they've run some stuff. They've been an adult. They've been responsible, <laughs> but like building a company, building revenue, maybe even, you know, seeking, you know, a seed round or venture capital is, is just like things people don't often do unless they're in a position like you one day, you're like, I need to somehow keep doing this and I want to. So as you'd mentioned, process of elimination, you made your choice. Right. No, I'd never founded a company before. Um, I'd worked at a handful of startups. I'd worked at, uh, at Yahoo and some other companies. And, um, but no, I mean, the only like actual like business business experience I had was an, as a, as a consultant, just kind of doing my own side work. And so I'd done some stuff. It's not like I was completely green on that side of things. And I had managed people before, but no, this was a brand new adventure for me. I was a first time CEO and, and really like, you know, again, like doing it because I sort of had no other choice. Yeah. I mean, you have a, we could talk about the passion if you want. I mean, clearly you're, you're passionate about NPM and the JavaScript community and, and where it's gone. And you've played a huge role in making that possible. I don't know anybody who doesn't use NPM. So uh, congratulations, right? Yeah, um, thanks. You know, I'm kind of thinking like, what was the the December 2013 visits with the venture capitalists like? Like, what did you do to prepare? Were you crazy nervous? Paint a picture there for us. Um, so I had a um, uh, one of our one of my co-founders um, had some experience raising money and quite a bit of experience raising money at Joint actually, and he knew a, a bunch of investors. Um, we also had the uh, uh, the CTO of Joyant was, or the, I guess, I don't know if he had left Joyant already, former CTO of Joyant. Um, uh, Jason Hoffman was also kind of uh, giving us some advice and, and uh, helping to make introductions and provide a good reference for us. But I mean, it's really fascinating the way that the, so A, our, you know, I look back over our pitch decks from their seed round and they're just like, some of them are like, wow, that, yeah, that is still a good idea. We're still planning on doing that. <laughs> we haven't, haven't gotten around to that one yet. And other ones are just so laughably bad. I'm like, why did, why did anybody think that was a good idea? But the thing about raising seed money is like, you're really trying to convince investors of a couple of things. Like you're not trying to convince them that you are a profitable company, right? Or that they need to like, like that's kind of more the like growth phase. It's a much later phase kind of approach. What you're trying to convince them of is that this is a real problem. This is a, uh, a legitimate approach to that problem. And I am a person who can figure out what the solution to that problem is going to look like. Uh, regardless of, of, you know, you're almost like trying to just sort of sell the positioning of the founders rather than the particular solution. Because any seed venture firm is going to know that whatever thing you're pitching right now, you're going to change it four or five times before you achieve product market fit. So from their point of view, it's like, do I think this is a legit thing? And do I, is this a space we want to be in? Right. So um, what that also means is like, what's in your, and this is, I don't know, people, this is a controversial opinion. A lot of people probably disagree, but I sort of think like what's in your pitch deck almost just doesn't matter. Right. It's like <laughs> the main thing you're pitching is just, here's a big thing. I know about it. 
you should give me a lot of money. Like that's that's basically it. Um, you need to have the pitch deck because it's you know it's it's part of the whole ceremony of it. But like the the products that are included in there or the approaches that are included are like everybody Just knows to give it's confidence all that you've actually thought through the problem and you have some indications of how you might go about generating revenue, basically. Right, right. But I mean, it's kind of like I don't know, like any any VC who really nitpicks your model that's in your pitch deck for a seed funded company is like they're just being an. They've already they've already decided no, right? They're just kind of trying to justify that. So there were a handful of people who, um, you know, a handful of people we talked to who just completely laughed us out of out of the room or were just jerks. Like, really? I don't know. There's some of some some uh, some people in the VC community are not nice. <laughs> most of them are very, very friendly, though. I think uh, most of the people we talked to were, were at least extremely professional. The biggest thing I got was you know, there were some like, there's some folks who just kind of don't get how to make open source a business. And they think like, how do you build a business around open source is, is a single problem. And in reality, that's like saying, how do you build a business around software? Like, well, there's, you know, 8,000 different ways and any of them can feel can fail or succeed in a million possible outcomes. So like, there is really no one way to make a business in open source. And so occasionally there'd be investors who we talked to because they'd invested in a handful of other, like, quote unquote, open source companies. But when we talked to them, they'd be like, well, you don't have the node contributors on your team. So how can this ever succeed? It's like, well, I have the entire NPM contributor base on my team because that's me pretty much. And this isn't just for node. And why would I need that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, but it's sort of a, a people get people get assumptions in their head and then they and, you know, probably that heuristic served that investor pretty well. Um, you know, if you tried to go and create a startup around Node and you didn't have the backing of the Node core dev team, like you'd have a really hard time. Right. You're, you're coming in and sort of as an outsider to this open source community. In the case of NPM, that's just not the shape of the situation. Were you the official in quotes, official package manager of of Node at the time? I know that. That was early days for NPM, but were you the official? And because it says that on your about page, I'm just curious if that's like a a blessing thing or if it's just you've earned it thing. Um, I don't know what office would need to stamp what TPS report to make it like quote unquote a more any more official than it already is. Um, okay. NPM NPM has been shipped with Node uh, bundled in the Node install uh, uh, installation package since version zero dot six dot three. Uh, so you know, quite a while ago. Right. Um. We're effectively the only package manager of any real relevance for JavaScript. There are some other uh, some other clients and some other endpoints, but ultimately everything goes through the NPM registry. The reason I ask that is because like that would be the stamp. If I were in the VC shoes, I would think like, it. okay, Node is going here, JavaScript is going here, NPM is here, poised in the middle there to enable both of those things to keep going the way they're going. You know what I mean? That would give me the assurances I would want. You're touching on a really interesting thing in in 2013 and 2014, like it was not clear that NPM would be a big success in, in front end JavaScript. We had Bower and what were some other registries at the time? Bower was after maybe NPM, uh, definitely after, but like in terms of what it was trying to do, there were a couple other competing registries that was, was sort of like you put your stuff in several places, not just NPM, but NPM ultimately won. Yeah, yeah. So Bower was uh, Bower was a big thing that that was really popular in the front end world. Um, and really, npm was npm was the package manager for Node. But for the front end, like people were still just sort of putting 
Jake, uh, jQuery and a script tag, right? Like the, the whole like modular JavaScript revolution hadn't really made it into the web browser. And, um, there was a lot of work going on with, um, specs around ES modules and different loader approaches. And, and it was really not clear that NPM would like quote unquote win, right? All of the major web front end frameworks uh, of all the major web front end frameworks, none of them used NPM in any kind of like significant way other than browserify. Uh, Webpacks still, I believe, didn't exist yet. I could be getting my days a little mix, mixed up, but it certainly wasn't the thing it is today. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and that was a big that was a big open question at the founding of this company was like, how do we get how do we get front end developers to put their code in NPM, and how do we get them to consume it, their code from NPM? As it happened, um, you know, we, we we just always had bigger problems to solve. And a couple of years in, we kind of looked back and we're like, oh, I, I guess we did it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the the answer was continue existing and wait. Um, right. So be reliable. The, uh, I think would probably be another one in there because <laughs> there's been some, and I'm sure this is probably things to keep you up at night. Is the you know the ups and downs that a registry can have. The speed, sure, sure. Uh, global speed, even not just so much like just here in the United States where we're at, but you know Europe and China and other places. Yeah, yeah. Getting up behind a CDN was a was a huge way to get kind of our operational house in order. Yeah. But yeah, you know, what, what ended up happening was people just sort of invented new front end frameworks and they did so in an environment where node existed and where NPM existed. And so it just seemed natural to those developers like, well, yeah, I'm going to use the module system and I'm going to put my stuff in, in the NPM registry and Babel and Webpack and paper over all the differences. And there you go. And now we have things like Vue and Angular and React and they're all using NPM, right? So it's it's really become the um, the package manager, not just for Node, but for JavaScript as as a whole. This episode is brought to you by Git Prime. Git Prime helps software teams accelerate their velocity and release products faster by turning historical Git data into easy to understand insights and reports. Because past performance predicts future performance, Git Prime can examine your Git data to identify bottlenecks, compare sprints and releases over time, and enable data-driven discussions about engineering and product development. Ship faster because you know more, not because you're rushing. Get started at gitprime.com changelog. That's G i t p r i m e dot com slash changelog again getprime.com slash changelog you know it's sort of like my my uh my number one like startup maxim is just stay alive long enough to get lucky there's very i think there are very few cases where success is is not like 99 percent luck but you do have to you do have to be there to get lucky which means you know whatever the fires are you have to kind of put them out fast enough that when you get some some break some lucky break you're, you're in a position to grab it um so it's not it's not that there's no skill in getting lucky but it's not like it's it doesn't mean you're a genius it just means you you know manage to be present and alive and still a, a relevant concern, right? If you go out of business, then you can't really get lucky anymore. The name ever have an issue? I know that there's always been a constant debate of what NPM actually <laughs> means. 
Because I do believe in episode 101, when we first talked to you, this was August 2013 on the changelog, NPM Origins and Node.js was the title of the show. I'm pretty sure we called it No Package Manager. I'm pretty sure it was called No Package Manager back in the day. But since you've kind of zoomed out at a, at a macro level and, and denamed it, and now in the top bar of your site, you even... Sort of like, uh, I'll just hop over to the next tab and see what it says right now. Sort of joke joke about it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, did that, I mean, because at first it was Node Package Manager, and I think now it says Naughty, I can't even pronounce the middle word, something made. Naughty, I don't know, that's what it says on your site right now for uh, (laughs) Well, that's that's randomized, that's that's just for you. Yeah, but (laughs) what I mean to say that is, is that, you know, originally if it was called NPM or node package manager in parentheses to, to explain the longer version of it for venture capitalists or someone not in the software world that you were convincing that, Hey, you should trust me. You should trust this team. We have good ideas. We're mm-hmm. going to do something awesome was to couple or decouple from node or JavaScript at large, something somehow to paint the picture bigger than the vision. I would probably easier say it than that is like the bigger vision that you have. So, um, in when we were doing our seed round, we kind of just accepted that like, yeah, NPM is a node thing. Uh, it'd be great to provide some features for front end JavaScript. But, you know, first we got to not be on fire. And there's some pretty clear enterprise opportunities we can go after. Uh, a lot of big companies using node depending on it. So like, let's go there. And some of the pushback that we got was, you know, like I mentioned, well, you don't have the node team on your team. So how are you going to succeed as a node thing? Some other folks just kind of doubted the, <laughs> I, I wish I'd taken notes. I wish I'd kept better receipts, but um, there were a couple of VCs who said, you know, note, note is never going to be a really big thing in the enterprise or, you know, JavaScript is never going to take the place of something like Java or Go. And, um, you know, and I, I think that Node itself as a server side language platform, it's, it has really found its niche, which is as a place, as a thing for web developers, right? Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a thing that you use to run tooling that is, um, you know, mostly run tooling, but also a lot of times build out kind of the uh, the last server side layer, like the view layer of your of your web application. And, you know, it's good for other things, too, but that's kind of where it shines. Right. That's where something like Rust or Go um, don't don't do as well as 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 Node. And um, the the other thing about like, well, we don't know how big JavaScript is like that's just not a bit of pushback we get now right it's javascript is a half to a half or more of all developers are using javascript on a regular basis every single company is using npm every single web app is using npm it's sort of like that's not the pushback we get now now it's more like well can you turn this into a commercial success you know and there's as you get later and later in in the stages of a company um you become much more you know, less, less judged based on the potential and more judged based on your actual results. So, you know, they don't want to see a big community. They want to see a product that's actually in the market that is getting really good buying signals and, and producing a lot of revenue. Well, let's turn to that. Let's turn to, so you've got the, let's, let's break it down first, the components of NPM, you do it well on your about page, uh, which I really appreciated, by the way, was just sort of like breaking down what NPM Inc. is versus NPM, the registry versus NPM, the CLI client that uh, that kind of pulls everything together, stuff like that. So I kind of broke that down, I guess, for the audience. But, you know, what are the other things that you've done that are paid for that 
generate the revenue? When did, when did you first launch a product? When did you first, you know, start earning revenue? And what was that, what was that like for you guys? So, um, yeah, this is a, a interesting story. So we, we did a lot of, um, you know, we'd had, I'd had people from various companies come to me and say, NPM is great. We love NPM. We use NPM all the time. Hey, here are these three problems we have. And, you know, these weren't small companies. They were like big, well, you know, big, well-known companies with lots of money. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why I started a company, because I was like, well, this is a way that I could fund the registry and keep it running. One of the one of the things that we heard in a lot of our earlier, early, you know, very, very, very early beginning uh, customer chats was people seem to split about 50-50 between absolutely not being able to use anything that is not on-prem and absolutely not being able to use anything that's not a SaaS. So we thought, okay, well, we're going to have to have some kind of a two-pronged attack here uh, where we have an enterprise product, which is on-prem and like a more of an SMB type of thing, which is a SaaS product. And we looked at GitHub. I mean, that's kind of the obvious corollary, right? Uh, GitHub had GitHub Enterprise, which is run on-prem and GitHub Orgs, which is um, their paid SaaS for teams and smaller groups. And over time, so so the first thing we built, uh, just because we found our first customer for it, was this on-prem NPM enterprise product. I would not recommend that any company today create both an on-prem product and a SaaS product. I don't care how well-intentioned you are. <laughs> I don't care how much you say it's not going to happen to you. It will. You know, a lot of people told me, well, it's important that the code bases don't diverge. And we're like, okay, let's keep the code bases in sync. What they didn't say is, no, 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 they will. They will diverge. You can't <laughs> stop it. Like, it's, it is going to happen. There's no way out of this. And the reason why is that it takes two completely different shapes of, like, kinds of company to make an on-prem product work versus making a SaaS product work. And you really just have to pick one and go with it. So an on-prem product, the big challenges are uh, onboarding, customer success, managing upgrades, the, the whole account management process and just feature delivery right it's it's really challenging to get your get any kind of upgrades or features out to a customer you have to convince them to do an upgrade you have to make them successful you have to build in the kinds of the kinds of like corporate competencies to handle that kind of a customer need and so it's not just about having a good support team it's about having like really proactive you know technical account managers who can reach out and be like Hey, how's it going? How many people do you have on this thing now? Okay, we're going to need to upgrade your server. Like we're going to need to, you know, let's take a look at your CPU logs and make sure you're not getting yourself into trouble. Because what happens with NPM um, is that the more you use it, the more you want to use it. And so within a company, so people would spin up a proof of concept with 20 to 30 developers at their company and then expand that out to a, a couple hundred or thousands. And then it would fall over. And it's like, yeah, I, I've seen this happen. <laughs> this is 2013. This is like a microcosm for the, the, what the open source community went through between 2009 and 2013. Right. Like at every company we went to, this is the same story every time. And so you can do that. You can do that. You can manage that well. You can do that with a lot of really, really good proactive professional services and customer success and so on. But that's like a certain kind of team that you need to build. On the other side, you have SaaS where you really benefit from extremely rapid delivery, continuous deployment metrics to be able to determine when customers are running into problems before they do uh, so that you can get fixes out. It's extremely easy to push new features out. You kind of just push it out and then there it is. And the big problem is doing the operations, right? You don't have to be 
uh, you're not in a position where you're like facilitating an ops team at another company. You're in a position where you are that ops team. And so you need to build that technical competency. And those two companies are like diametrically opposed in terms of how how they're actually built. You can do both once you're two, three hundred person company because you have kind of enough hands to to actually manage both approaches. But doing that as a seed stage company is just impossible. Like it was it was a fundamentally bad idea that took us a long time to unwind from. I'm curious that uh, with that then, so the state of those two, so you do have enterprise and you do have your SaaS. So what did you do? Well, we, uh, that's a good question. Um, We haven't made a ton of noise about this. It's not in, it's not in GA yet. Um, But what we did was we kind of went back to the drawing board and we said, okay, like this is, you know, I, I had some, some uh, revenue targets that our investors wanted to see they're they're saying like you know your revenue should be growing by this much over this much time so i did the math and i was like okay we can do that if we land given the average contract value of uh the the like typical uh annual contract value of our enterprise clients um if we land about two new enterprise clients per week over the next year we're going to hit that target well you know and we could, I could hire a sales team that could do that. I could hire, we could, we could invest in the marketing and do that. It's not easy, but it's not particularly challenging either. Right. It's like the, what to do is very straightforward. It's right. You got to do the work. Right. Right. The work is hard, but it's easy to know what it is. But the problem is that would completely destroy this team. I was like, that's going to burn out every engineer here. They're not going to do anything other than onboarding and customer success. And like, and then the open source stuff is going to suffer. The registry is going to suffer. It's going to have you know, we're not going to have enough people to maintain the uptime we need. That means we can't do that, right? Like that just, we're not a big enough company to do both things. And we can't give up the SaaS part because that powers all of the world's JavaScript. So we kind of have, I feel like some, you know, some personal responsibility to make sure that our SaaS offering doesn't die since it's, you know, the the free users are the main JavaScript users. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Right. They keep the Um, main thing, the main thing. Exactly. And if we stop and you know, even if we said, hey, you know, business is business, free users got to got to deal with it. Um, if we are not the package manager for JavaScript, then what are we right? Like, then where's our credibility? So there's actually a business like a, a self-interested business reason to keep being a good citizen here. So the yeah, so the the moral of that story was we're, you know, let's start looking at how we're going to go to the enterprise um, in a different way. And we. So we reimagined our enterprise offering as a SaaS, and basically what it is is the 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 public registry and the public website with all of the features that those have, but sort of in miniature and rolled up into a Kubernetes uh, cluster that we run for the customer. This really leverages a lot of our strengths, right? We're we're very good at scaling an NPM registry. We're probably the only team in the world capable of scaling an NPM registry, at least the only one that's ever done it at this magnitude. And also it's just a lot easier for the, you know, the whole sales cycle, right? We, we were also w- wading into these companies with this, um, with this minefield in front of us, where <laughs> on the one hand, you know, on the one side, we have the developers who are bringing us into the company saying, we need NPM, we need this tool. It's how we do our work. Um, collaboration's getting really hard across the company lines. Like we need something like NPM. And the ops and infrastructure teams at that same company, like they saw us as the enemy more often than not, because what we're doing is we're making work for them. They're not getting any benefit, really, from having NPM. What they're getting is yet another thing to kind of care for and feed. It's often coming out of their budget. They have some limited tools budget and they have to deliver what the development teams need. 
And so their pushback was always like, well, can't you use this other thing? And the dev teams would say, well, yeah, we could, but it's not as good. And they'd say, okay, great. You're going to get the thing that's not as good then. <laughs> um, because, you know, the, the last thing that they wanted was some new thing to, to be aware of and manage and worry about scaling. And we weren't really able to, you know, in, in fairness, we weren't able to provide them with enough support to be successful at that. Uh, you know, back to the whole like SaaS versus on-prem thing. So um, reimagining this as a SaaS and redesigning it as a SaaS actually opens that door up a lot. Now the uh, the infrastructure and like operations and IT com- IT side of the company is saying, "Hey, you just took a you know you just took a big headache away from me." Uh, the dev teams can get started a lot faster. In a lot of cases, they're just like there's nothing to install. They don't have to requisition any hardware, so they just swipe a credit card and off to the races. That's right. Yeah. So it's in it's in beta now. Uh, we have gotten some pushback from some companies about it not being on-prem, but, you know, the interesting thing here is kind of the subtle repositioning of like, this is not, this doesn't have to be where you put your private code if that's a problem for you to have that in a, in a SaaS, in a SaaS repository. You could just look at it as a way to kind of enforce co- policy compliance within your company because you are using a SaaS, right? You're using the public registry. I guarantee it. You know, we we can look at our logs and find 500 of the Fortune 500 companies. That's yeah. that's not like people think you're lying when you say 100% of the Fortune 500. They're like, that's oh, there's no way that's true. It's like, no, it, it is true. actually true. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It's not 99%. Like there aren't five that aren't using it. It's it is 100%. So, yeah, and so given that, then the thing is like how do we help the how do we help the policy and compliance teams? How do we help the IT and the security teams and not just sort of give developers what they need because that's that's our bread and butter right that's who we identify with and who we've always served um in the open source world that's really the only person to serve but looking at things through the lens of security and policy compliance you start to see this is a bigger uh, a bigger equation and there's a lot more opportunity to offer value by by thinking a little bit more holistically about everybody within a large organization that's pretty smart so i mean so if we if i understand you so the Current state of enterprise is moving towards a SaaS based version of it. It's in beta. Prior mm-hmm. versions were a, a literal separate project code base that was installed on location. And then you had sales teams and technical teams kind of like paying attention to them and monitoring it or whatever to keep them seeking or, or getting the value that NPM on prem would bring. Mm hmm. I mean, it's it's also interesting to look at that from the world of cloud too, like where trusting someone else to host and run and operate your code base or at least the infrastructure that runs your code has become has become know, commonplace. Yeah, exactly. Whereas before you were you were sort of forced to go on prem because that was the trust wasn't there, but now you've got it, so you're able to do enterprise in a much better way that doesn't divide your company. Right. Right. There's. Um there is an interesting sort of conversation to be had around uh, around what that trust means. And, and actually, I think the if you look at if you look at the data and the, the research on this, in many cases and for many companies, uh, you know, unless you're like Microsoft or Google, you're probably better off trusting a Microsoft or Google to run your own infrastructure rather than try and do it yourself. You know, even if you have a very capable team, they're just not operating at that scale. Mm-hmm. And and so you get a, a really big uh, business advantage by going with the SaaS in a lot of cases. Now, that being said, a lot of times when people say on-prem, they don't mean literally on-prem. Um, on-prem has come to mean in our AWS account rather than yours. So <laughs> so that's still something that we're, you know, 
there are some holdouts. And I think as our as our enterprise go to market kind of progresses, at some point, we're going to find someone who says, no, no, really, like I want this thing. I know it's this cute Kubernetes cluster thing, but I'm going to pay you many millions of dollars to have it on my physical location. And at that point, we'll say, all right, like, let's let's build the team that can support that. But we're now in a position where we can we can go to most enterprises and sell them a solution that makes their lives profoundly better for for everybody across the company. And we don't have to um, we don't have to get into that kind of uh, uh, fight between dev and infrastructure. Um, we don't need to ask our champions within a company to go like convince someone who has who sees no personal benefit to using our product. Yeah. So our, our existing enterprise customers were I want to mention this just in case any of them are listening to this. <laughs> we're uh, we're going to keep supporting our NPM uh, enterprise on prem product for for quite a while. I mean, it'd be a little messed up to say, like, OK, we're dropping support for our on prem product, but our new SaaS product is not even out of beta yet. So as we as we do get closer to rolling this thing out and and calling it GA, uh, we're we're going to have a comprehensive plan to make sure we take care of those people. Well said. Yeah, you gotta. In case they're listening, you gotta make sure that they, they don't get. Uh, <laughs> hey, I should be emailing Isaac after this. After I listen right. to this show, because that was I just, not expected. Did I just hear you decommissioning my thing? Yeah, like, exactly. No, no, no. It's cool. It's cool. We're good. Right. Um, well, let's let's turn back to the. I don't want to go too far back, but uh, just enough to kind of understand this. So if I understand you correctly, based on some of my research, you took initial seed funding in 2014, February-ish range, uh, at least based on announcements. Uh, a little bit more, more near later, you took another Series A for $8 million, so you're looking at like maybe 10-6 total of funding. And you haven't been funded since then. Does that mean you don't need more money or you've been just so pro- widely, widely profitable? What's the what's the scenario there? Uh, there is a third possibility you didn't mention, which is that we got money. It didn't say anything about it. Oh, is that right? OK. <laughs> <laughs> How much money did um, you get? And why didn't you say anything about it? Uh, <laughs> well, I uh, since we didn't say anything about it, I probably shouldn't say anything about it. But um, from the point of view of like looking at this as a founder, you should use funding announcements very carefully. I don't think it, it's certainly not required to announce every dollar of funding that you get. And it often doesn't really serve your, uh, your corporate needs, your company's needs. I think that, um, you know, seed funding, yes, announce it, announce it as soon as possible. It's marketing. Um, exactly. Exactly. A funding announcement is always marketing. Um, if you have a really big round, then you probably want to announce that again, because it's marketing, you know, it, it sort of, uh, can rattle the cages of all your competitors. It gets all your buyers thinking, you know, gets you kind of in front of a bigger class of buyer who's now thinking, oh, they're, you know, they're a significant company because they raised $50 million or whatever. But like, if you do follow on rounds, like if you do like a one, you probably don't need to talk about that. It doesn't like, (laughs) you know, especially if you're doing inside rounds or anything like that, it doesn't really, um, it doesn't move the needle in terms of like taking your company seriously. Mm -hmm. It's not the best way to brag about your, your progress. And yeah, it, it doesn't really get you anything to make that announcement. Makes sense. So without saying too much more, like, you know, if you sitting on the feed of, of SEC filings or, or whatever, like you would see that we have raised some more money, but um, we have nothing, nothing that we've made any kind of big news about. Honestly, I think hiring a new CEO is a much bigger deal than 
any yeah. round we've raised. That's what I was trying to go to because I wanted to kind of close the gap there. One, to give you a chance to say, yes, we're so wildly profitable if it was if that was the case. Because <laughs> that, that was at least, you know, what I was probably trying to gather from, you know, the total, what it seems publicly, you know, totally, sure. total, total raises and kind of paint a picture or position for NPM prior to moving on to the next, I would say much bigger topic is, is hiring a CEO and, and what that means for you. Cause a lot of the story we've covered, you've been not only leading product, but also leading as a CEO, which straddling those two lines is super difficult. And so I'm sure that, you know, something you had said actually in your announcement post was basically you said being, I'm going to go back to here. You said one piece of advice I got, as a founding CEO of a startup was to start planning your transition less to be planned for you. So it seems like this is a big deal for you. Obviously it's you've, you've personally penned a post deeply about it, which I just quoted from. And uh, so, so help us understand why this is such an important stage for NPM. Sure. Sure. Um, yeah. People really responded to that post. I mean, it, it was, it's one of those things where I just kind of was like, Oh, I should say something. And I just kind of like wrote a rough draft and that's, I think, my one of my one of our marketing people i'd like like oh you said this kind of sounds weird maybe restructure the sentence and other than that it's like went out as is um yeah why did i why did i hire a ceo it's, <laughs> it's um no i i i really like him i mean I, I genuinely like uh the person i hired i think we lucked out um brian's brian's been great to work with and for and um it's kind of a weird situation as a founder to hire a ceo right like on the one hand you're you're hiring your boss but on the other hand like still on the board like i have all kinds of shares and like a ton of credibility so it's almost like he's working for me but it's but it is a really you know it has to be a a very good partnership and it has to be something where you you have a lot of trust in each other right he he has to have trust in the company and in what i've built and what i've done so far and in what my vision is in order to get on board and want to take you know take his own time and and energy and spend it on this um, and I have to really trust that he's, you know, not going to screw it up. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's my baby and you're, you're hiring somebody else to be a, your baby's new parent, right? It's, right. it's uh, very tough to hire for. <laughs> I mean, that's, uh, that's actually, I mean, that's why the larger co- part of the conversation actually wasn't the most I wanted to talk to you about, but I mean, this is the, this is hard, right? When yeah. you, and so, someone listen to this, will hear your passion. You've been you know, in the node world since the earliest days, you know, core contributor, joint, you know, your full story can be heard on other shows. We'll point to them in the show notes. So go back and listen to other shows for that to kind of get some of this backstory if you want to, but, you know, hiring a CEO as a co-founder, as someone who's been in charge has got to be an extreme exercise of not only trust, but just maybe what I'd say is um responsibility I'm, I'm not i'm not hitting the right word but like a very adult thing <laughs> it shows that you don't take yourself so seriously that you have to have that title have to have that role sure sure it, but it you definitely... do take yourself seriously because you do run things of course but you know you're, you're not putting isaac on such a huge pedestal that no one else could could do the job yeah yeah i mean i i had a i had a few sleepless nights over it to be honest i mean it's it's uh over just the idea or the concept like you know, and it's, it's not really, it wasn't even ego. It was just like, how, how can I do this? And how can I do this in a way that's not going to be absolutely terrible and take this risk? You know, it seems ultimately 
where I kind of got to was like, okay, yeah, it's a risk. If I hire somebody else, like they might not be good. They, the, you know, the team might reject them. We might have this, you know, massive upheaval. We probably will have massive upheaval no matter what, just because it's a new person who's going to come in and be like, Hey, like all these processes you set up, like this is why you're failing. We're going to change them and change is disruptive and traumatic, right? There's, there's no way around that. But like, you know, I, I almost think of it as like the, it's almost like the, the, the company equivalent of a, of a heart transplant or something. It's like, yeah, it might go good. It might be life-saving, but it is not a small thing, right? It's, it's painful and big. And there was, uh, you know, there was some pressure from our, from our investors. I think, um, some of our investors were like, you know, you seem to be doing an okay job, but here's what you need. Maybe you need to hire a, a COO or hire somebody to run marketing or somebody to run sales. Um, and we, you know, we had tried some of those things and ultimately that what made the decision was like, I'm not having fun doing this. Mm. I'm not, I'm not having fun being everyone's boss. I'm not having fun being responsible for, uh, for our go-to-market plan and, and stuff. And like, I'm happy to participate in those things. Of course. Um, I have very strong feelings about our messaging and positioning and everything else, but like, ah, oh gosh, it's just so much work. Like all of the operational stuff and all of the kind of like company, you know, interdepartmental communication lines and everything else. is just not my, not my forte. And I could learn it. I could do it. Uh, it's not, you know, it's not rocket surgery as they say, but what that means is I'm, what I'm not doing is I'm not spending my time thinking deeply about our product and, and really figuring out like, where does our product need to be? Where do we need to go? How are we going to change JavaScript next, right? If we release this or that feature, like how, what impact is that going to have? And how do we kind of, uh, skate ahead of the puck or, you know, whatever sports metaphor run ahead of the ball. I don't know. Um, be <laughs> in, the right... in the hockey is good. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. Um, you know, how, how do we, how do we make sure that we're kind of well-suited to handle the changes that we're causing? And, um, you need to be in that position. Yeah. Yeah. That's and a I job think, that no one else can do. Sure. There's some others who could probably do it, but you probably have a better capability of doing sure. it well. Sure. Sure. Um, I have some, I have some, I have a track record of, of doing that, doing right. okay at that. Yeah. And I mean, that's not like, I'm not trying to be modest or, or, uh, bragging about any of this it's it's literally just like stepping outside of my own skin for a second and looking at it as a shareholder like what does this company need what is the mission of this company and how do we serve it and like would i hire this isaac guy as ceo the answer is hell no like he's he's a smart guy but he doesn't want the job so (laughs) you know that's kind of a that's kind of a deal breaker that is so funny (laughs) to say it from that perspective hell no Right. So, yeah. And, and there's, uh, there was a, so we, we, we did this first CEO search. Um, gosh, when was that beginning of 2017? I think first half of 2017, uh, we did a CEO search. Um, and it was, you know, there was a, everybody kind of fell into like a couple of different categories or some people who we really, really liked who were very, very well qualified and said, you know what, you're not ready. There were a couple of folks as a company. Yeah. As a company, as a product, um, one person in particular, you know, she kind of gave us this, like, it's not me, it's you, or it's not you, it's me kind of comment. And I, I, I drilled onto it and she's like, yeah, you know, you need somebody with more developer empathy who can figure out what your product vision needs to be. And I think that needs to be you. And until you do that, like you can't hire a CEO. And I was kind of feeling like, well, as long as I'm CEO, I'm kind of can't do that. (laughs) (laughs) so uh it was it was it really was a frustrating time um in in a lot of ways 
the uh, you know, there were some other folks who who really, really wanted the job. And as we went through the interview process and especially background process, I was like, OK, like I I could see that any company this person works at is going to be successful and they're really smart. But they're also like, I'm going to be I'm going to be butting heads with them every single day. And like, do I want that to be my job? And the answer is no, I don't really want that yeah. to be my job. Right. What I didn't want to do is hire somebody who's going to go very effectively sell this on-prem product that was that was sort of becoming toxic within the company. It's the box from Silicon exactly. Valley. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I, I didn't want to like reimagine the entire company around this around this approach and this uh, product approach that I fundamentally no longer believed in. Yeah. Right. Where I was like, actually, what we need to do is pivot and, and change our direction a little bit and focus on this other direction. Um, and then there were some folks who I think really did get it, but were kind of on the fence. And yeah. And, and again, I think a lot of it is like, you know, they were looking at this and saying, well, I can I can spend my time figuring out what your product needs to be or I can spend my time running your company, but I can't do both. So I'm going to go somewhere else. Um, so we did a uh, six week. Uh, we, we actually commissioned one of the people who passed on the CEO search to do a, a six week like market research and customer uh, marketing customer research uh, project with us. And that's kind of where we landed on like, look, we need to get into security. We need to be a SaaS. We need to be the, the thing that serves the interests of the IT and security teams at enterprises rather than just the thing for developers, right? We can, because we are uniquely situated to be able to offer a security tool that doesn't cause more friction for developers. And that, that I think is a pretty unique opportunity, a pretty unique thing in the, in the dev tool space. Well, given your distribution to as a registry, I mean, I think the markets also said, Hey, you need to be, you need to have some security as well. You've, while it has not been your fault, you've been in the vector of breaches. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're in the, uh, the tool chain, right? We're in the, in the supply chain of your software. Um, you need to be a check and balance. Right. So one of our, uh, actually one of our investors said to us one time when we kind of pitched them on this, like, Hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to go acquire this security team. They were like, you know, if I forget exactly how he put it, he was like, if you told me that you were going to be a proxy for everyone's JavaScript in order to sell them a a security tool, I'd say you're crazy, but you already did the first part. So yeah, build the security tool. And then that's when, uh, so beginning of, beginning of 2018, I believe we released NPM audit, which was kind of like NSP sort of built into the, the NPM experience. And that's had a huge impact already just in kind of like upgrading the um the security stance of the entire javascript community it's also uh it's also why we've gotten a lot of data about like the security security status of a lot of very very large enterprises very large companies around the world that are just shipping vulnerabilities every which way it's really terrifying (laughs) i I assumed that they you know I, i just sort of like naively assumed that they must have some process to keep that from happening and the answer is no no, mm-hmm. they don't. They they need one. Um, and so we're I'm very excited to be getting to a position where we can actually ship NPM Enterprise as a SaaS to uh, to general availability so that we can actually deliver them something that, you know, their developers are not going to kind of route around because it's inconvenient or adds friction to their process. And that the uh, the policy and compliance and security teams at these big companies will actually appreciate and, and maybe even uh, push their developers to use NPM rather than get their code from somewhere else. It said part of, uh, how do you pronounce his last name? Brian, is it Bogensberger? It's Bogensberger. Bogensberger. 
Yeah. So when you mentioned him in your post, you said he brings a wealth of experience from open source. So he's got roots in open source. Mm-hmm. Uh, ton of excitement, obviously, expertise to bring to it. But you said this. You said commercializing something like this without ruining it is no small task. And building the team to deliver on NPM's promise is a major undertaking. That's the thing I think about is, is commercializing something like this without ruining it. Because as you've said in this conversation and many times before this, what a responsibility you have to the JavaScript ecosystem. And any change to NPM, you know, workflows, whatever, is either a, you know, a hurdle to developers, a time taker of developers, and ultimately it slows down the progress of massive global software right? Like you have such a huge responsibility to do that. So, you know, kind of going back to your sleepless nights of hiring a CEO and Brian being the winner of this, you know, winner, I don't know if that's the way you say it. You've done the search, Brian wins. Great. Be the CEO. How do you, how do you move forward, you know, without ruining things? NPM is actually really, I think, interesting because there's, there are opportunities to provide very, very compelling enterprise tools that don't ruin our community, right? That don't actually harm the the open source users. There's not a ton of open source companies like that, right? There's, there's usually some kind of contention, um, especially if you're talking about an open source project that's sort of delivered as a, um, as like a standalone executable, right? You kind of have one, one classic example, um, of this is is the way that MySQL was dual licensed for a long time, right? You had, I forget now, there was like MySQL and then MySQL AB or something, MySQL BC. Hmm. Anyway, there was like the commercial version and the open source version, right? The open source version was GPL. If you want the non-GPL version, you have to pay money. Um, that's a lot trickier to do in a way that's, that's not very fragile. Um, so for example, you know, what ended up happening with MySQL is that it, it was bought by Oracle who just kind of stopped updating the free version and said, no, you got to pay. Um, and a lot of, you know, the open source community had to sort of just go elsewhere and you see other things. I think uh, Maria DB is kind of the main, the main one that all the MySQL folks jump to. The other thing is you can, you can build a, like an open source version, which is free and then add features to a commercial version, right? So you could have, there's been some talk at, I remember there was some talk about doing this in Node um, back at Joya that I resisted very forcefully at the time which is that we would have like the node open source platform and then there'd be another like node commercial platform that would have, you know, all sorts of other APIs or other things built into it. And I think when you're in a position of running an open source project, like doing that is very, very difficult. It gets you into a very difficult ground because you have to walk a very fine line between like really like having this value and then holding it back from your, from your open source community, which to me just feels like, not like there's anything morally wrong with it, but it just feels gross to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like I have this thing, I'm giving it away, but I'm like not giving you the whole thing. And there's no real reason why one part should be included or another shouldn't. Now, um, at Brian's former company, Ink Tank, that's exactly, that's exactly what they did. And they, I think they walked that line relatively well uh, to, to their credit, where uh, Ceph, the uh, uh, storage platform, was completely open source. It was liberally licensed they had tons of people using it and then all of the sort of management infrastructure that was sort of the the line that they that they drew and i I don't want to speak for his company former company that i 
know very little about actually because I never never used Ceph. Uh, I was sort of busy with other things at the other end of the stack uh, throughout that whole time. But yeah, there were you know there was a pretty clear line in the sand between like what goes what is commercial, what is paid for, and what is um, what is free for the open source community. But there's always going to be those kind of edge cases with NPM. Um, we don't even have to hold anything back, right? The the open source tool can have 100% of the functionality because that's the client to the registry. Now on the registry, there it's are certain- best interest that it, that it'd be that way. Absolutely, absolutely. Right? Because, and it's actually competitive, right? Because now um, people who are providing alternative registries who are competing with us, like they have to s- sort of either- seem a little foolish because they don't support the whole feature set or, you know, they have to be spending time and energy scrambling to keep up with us. And we're sort of always fundamentally in the lead um, and, and really taking advantage of our, of our privileged position there. But the, yeah, the other thing about it is like, there are features that open source users fundamentally don't need out of their service, out of their registry service. They don't need private packages, for instance, you know, they, they, don't need the kind of like single sign-on and um, uh, what do you call it? like management and policy compliance stuff that you're going to see inside of really large enterprises. So, and there there are certainly some arbitrary some arbitrary lines to be drawn. Like we could say, well, yeah, I think GitHub just recently gave started giving away um, private repositories for uh, for unpaid users, which I think is kind of interesting. They they limit the number of repositories you can have. Um, so every like all of their free users get now, I think, three private repos. But I and, and I could see us doing something similar to that and kind of like continuing to evolve sort of where those lines are drawn. But fundamentally, like the needs of there are needs that a large enterprise of 1500 developers, like they absolutely need a way to say, like, here are, you know, here are 25 different projects and I need to see what's going on in all of them. Nobody needs to know all of the things that are going on in all of the open source projects. Right. Like that's just right. No, you couldn't a <laughs> and b like it's not really reasonable to want that and we can we can build a lot of uh a lot of really compelling features that are structured in such a way that we're like you know just as one example um we haven't built this this is vaporware hand wave on the roadmap blah 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 but like for example when whenever you run npm install now we we run an audit of all the packages in your dependency tree that's something that benefits every single one of the of the people using npm today. We give that away for free, and why do we do that? Because one of the things that you need in an enterprise is you need to know how are all of the developers at my company like have any of them installed something that is insecure? Have any of them built an application and shipped it to production that is insecure? Can I go and verify all of the different licenses that are in use in all of our different projects? Like and these are the kind of things that that same auditing infrastructure enables us to do. So you know, we're in a position where giving things away to the open source community actually does serve our long term uh, uh, product and company needs as we go to market in the enterprise. You know, something that uh, that I read on your about page and I actually want to confirm with you if this is still accurate. I imagine that usually most people's about pages are the last thing they look at, but it's one of those things <laughs> where you seem like the kind of person to be very intentional uh, so I'll read it real quick. It says NPM's mission is to take open source development to entirely new places. When everyone else is adding force, we work to reduce friction. NPM is not a typical product and we're not a typical work hard, play hard startup. We are responsible adults with diverse backgrounds and interests who take our careers and our lives very seriously. 
We believe that the best way to iterate towards success is by taking care of ourselves, our families, our users, and one another. We aim for a sustainable approach to work and life, and because that is the best way to maximize long-term spread while retaining clarity of vision. Compassion is our strategy. Uh, it also said somewhere else, too, that you, know, you just really care about the community. And I think it's important to look at NPM in this way, too, is that you run the registry. There's some vested uh, value there for you as a company, but also the fact that you run it freely, scalably, fast for the globe, the, the entire world, to me, says a ton about you as a company. You know what I mean? And to find ways to do what you've done just there is like, you know, bringing security audits to every user, not just those who pay for it, to me says how much you care about the community. But you need to make money, right, as a company. Well, I, I couldn't have asked for a, a, a tougher question there, buddy. Um, right? <laughs> uh, no, so that, that thing in our, in our about page, uh, that's got an interesting story, actually. I, I wrote that as part of our, our first, like, hiring blurb. Um, when I wrote that, I believe um, Lori and I had just gotten done, like, dealing with some huge operational issue uh, back when he and I were like the two technical people at the company. Mm -hmm. um, and we were sitting around the table at our VC's office because we had not yet uh, at true ventures office in San Francisco. Uh, we didn't have our own office space yet. And it was like eight 30 at night. And I was like, okay, we got to hire some Feeling people inspired. Who, yeah. We got to hire some people who are not going to put up with this bull. Like, <laughs> cause this is, this is not going to keep working. Um, so it was it was a uh, it was a lie that came true. I, I guess uh, uh, aspirational hope is, is the best way to put it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we have a uh, we've assembled a world class team here, and I think actually, um, in, in particular, if you look at like uh, uh, age distribution at most startups, like the average age at most startups is like thirty or younger, and I think I think at NPM we have like uh, actually a pretty like representative or even like skewing kind of older in terms of like the, the people at this company. And, mm. um, you know, there's a ton of folks who have been in, been involved with open source for like 20, 30 years. Um, and it's just like, you know, on the one hand, like, yeah, we don't, we don't ask people to work stupidly long hours. We also do kind of trust that everybody's going to manage themselves appropriately. Um, and not, you know, not fry themselves out, but, that does happen. But yeah, we, we, uh, we do take a very intentional approach to um, how we build things and how we kind of set priorities and, and try to be very realistic about what we can deliver and, and cognizant of what our needs are. So is it, um, is it still true? I think so. Yeah. 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 Is there anything about that you would rewrite or change or add to? I don't know. Um, that's a tough question. There's probably some stuff on our about page, which isn't correct. I, I haven't actually looked at it in a really long time. But, I only uh, pulled it out because I, I actually liked it quite a bit. And it, you know, I know that there's the the usage of an about page for from company to company varies, right? Like Microsoft's about page versus NPM's about page probably skew differently, right? So what I when I read that, it reminded me that, you know, hey, when I looked up on LinkedIn, you've got 60 employees or less where you're trying to go. At least I'm not sure if that's accurate or not, but it reminded me you know, the utility that the NPM is, but also the company that you are and the position you've been in. So 
in preparation for having this conversation, asking you about how do you hire your new boss when you started the company is going to be a tough question for one, but then, you know, what a responsibility it is to the community that, that you come from this position, this perspective. Mm-hmm. Right. I think right. it's important. You yeah. Know? You know, I, I think it's sort of like, there's this idea and in, in especially with a lot of venture funded companies of being sort of a, a go big or go home type right. of company. Right. And from, from NPM's point of view, like we can't, we can't go home, but we do kind of have to go big or else we won't succeed mm-hmm. because the NPM registry is continuing to grow. Uh, the JavaScript community is continuing to grow and JavaScript is continuing to be in every corner of software development. So like we either keep up with that or we don't, you know, which is a brutal way to put it, but that's just sort of the, the facts of, of what this company needs to do. Let's close with this one then. What's, what's in the very near future? What's on the horizon for you that uh, people may not know much about that you can at least tease or share some general details publicly now, what's, what's on the horizon since this is a transitional period for you, you're moving into the role of chief product officer, spending a lot more of your time focused on the things you love more of. Mm -hmm. Where are you going? We are, we are hiring. We're hiring pretty aggressively. uh, I should say Um, we've already grown the company. It's been ridiculous. This is 60 an accurate number on LinkedIn. (laughs) Uh, Probably about right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Okay. Where this is another interesting thing as a CEO, as a founder, um, not as a CEO, I should say, but as a founder, like we're, we're just now at the point where this last batch of people that we've hired is the first time, like, I think a couple months ago was the first time somebody showed up in Slack that I had never met. And <laughs> it was just like, Oh, who are you? You, you work here. Huh? That's, that's novel. <laughs> like I was not a part of your hiring process. How did this happen? Um, you know, I kind of had this like weird, like there's a stranger in my house kind of feeling at first, right. uh, the first couple of times. Trust them in the refrigerator. Right. Um, <laughs> I, I've gotten used to it now. You know, I try to set up, uh, set up sort of meet and greet chats with everybody, uh, with all of our new employees every so often. But, um, yeah, it's, we are growing really quickly. We have just a, a team that's exploding. Um, we've built out a whole new, um, like executive leadership team added a, you know, head of sales, head of community marketing, a COO, you name it. Um, we're going to be talking more about those individuals uh, over the next couple months, probably making some noise about them. And our, uh, our main number one focus right now is just kind of getting to this, uh, this GA launch of NPM enterprise, which um, should be right around the corner here. A couple of months. Well, Isaac, I, I'm, I'm proud of you. I think what you've done is great. Um, the word I was looking for earlier in their conversation, I couldn't find when I was saying responsibility in an adult was maturity. And I, mm. I think, you know, you've made a mature choice um, in understanding your limitations, but at the same time, understanding the needs of, of NPM and not only the company, but, you know, those who work there as well as those who, uh, you know, build wealth and thrive and serve a, an, an awesome world and do awesome things in software because, the NPM registry is trustable. It's reliable. It's secure. All these things. I think you do an amazing job uh, as oh, a company and, and as a person. So I, I was excited to have this conversation with you and, and kind of dive into your past, and learn more about where you've been and the bloody knuckles you've got and the scars and the, the lessons learned and things like that. So thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks. 
All right, thank you for tuning in to Founders Talk. If you enjoyed this show, do us a favor, go into iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating or review. Go to Overcast and favorite it, tweet a link to it, share it with a friend. And of course, I want to thank our awesome sponsors, DigitalOcean and Get Prime. Also, thanks to Fastly, our bandwidth partner. Check them out at Fastly.com. And we're able to move fast and fix things around here at ChangeLaw because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Leno Cloud Servers, Leno.com slash ChangeLog. Support this show. Our music is by the one and only Breakmaster Cylinder. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, subscribe to our master feed at ChangeLog.com slash master or go to your podcast app and search for ChangeLog Master. You'll find it. Subscribe, get all of our shows in one single feed, as well as some extras that only hit the master feed. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you soon. Thank you.